everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the My Minds podcast. I am your host, George, and today I'm here with Jane. Hi, Jane. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I was really reluctant to pronounce your last name because I literally before <laughs> before we came on the show, I went and watched our um, British athletics thing, and I, I watched you say it, pronounce it, and I was like, right, it's that. And now I'm too scared to do it. I had like a moment of of, of scarcity. So please, how do I pronounce your last name? It's Nisbet, N-I-S-B-E-T. Everyone always calls it me Nesbet, so it's Nisbet. See, I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't do it because that's what I was going to go with. So I'm glad. but yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that you're okay. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm excited for our conversation. Um, how are you thank feeling you for, for, for coming on? Yeah, looking forward to um love having conversations like this to hopefully just help, even if it's just one person that we help. Um yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So I know a little bit about you from our time on the the panel with British Athletics, which I just mentioned. And I know that you've had some experiences with anorexia and with bulimia. Um, I just want to to kind of rewind um, to start off with. Could you tell me kind of, I suppose, your earliest memories of when you started to experience these or where where this came from? Um, Yeah, so I think for me, it was actually like a lot older Um, in terms of you usually find that people have experienced eating disorders when they were in their younger teen years. And it wasn't until I was sort of like 18, 19, 20 like specifically like 2021 that I really developed an eating disorder that that basically started to ruin Mm. obviously like my life um but up until that point I did have symptoms of disordered eating Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on because you would just almost push it under the table that you're an athlete and that is how athletes behave um so yeah it would have been like post school basically I was always the um skinny girl at school but I was just naturally very skinny and then um I guess like when I actually when I eventually went to therapy like some of this being called the skinny girl actually caused me some of my like with some of the trauma I went through basically yeah okay so, um, yeah that, that's that's in, that's interesting that you you yeah you so you didn't um, I, th- I think most of the people I speak to who have an eating disorder and including myself, it, it comes from a young age. Um, mm. my, mine was really because of an injury that I had, but I won't go into too much here because everyone listening to us has heard it a million times, but, um, it, I, I'm interested. So, so do you think, um, I, you mentioned that it was hidden under this athletic persona or being an athlete. And that's something I'm very interested in. So what, what do you mean by that? Exactly. What were the, these, um, disordered eating symptoms not eating disorder symptoms that you think were hidden so it was things such as obviously eating by specific times um only eating like 
carbs during the day like wouldn't eat them in my evening meal um being like really fussy around what food was cooked in and mm. um, it had to be organic like all these like things which are perfectly okay but actually when you take it to that next level it's it's not okay and it was controlling my life so like if we, was, we were going traveling to a competition and especially obviously in my younger years so like when I was like 17 my parents would be traveling with me and they'd book a restaurant and I'd be like we need to be at the restaurant by this time <laughs> and then for something may happen and then we didn't get to the restaurant and then my whole competition would be over basically because I would be like well that's it I'm not going <laughs> to perform tomorrow <laughs> um which I can laugh about now which obviously at the time is very stressful <laughs> yeah yeah but, and yeah it, it's I think looking back it is funny but at the time it take it takes such a toll on you doesn't it? and I, I imagine it was it was really stressful for you yeah um yeah it was I think I sort of didn't really recognize it initially, to be honest. Um, the main sort of initiator for me was I used to basically eat what I wanted. Um, and when I was 16 and I started to get into athletics when I was 16, um, I'd done all these other sports beforehand and then I started to get serious with athletics. And then um, I think back in the day, like parents weren't so educated on yeah. food and we're going back like almost, goodness like 15 16 years ago maybe more than that like oh 18 years ago so mad um but but basically like my parents like didn't really understand much about nutrition so they were like maybe we should send me to a nutritionist to learn more about how I should eat better for athletic performance yeah and that was the first time I'd ever looked at food in a context of like what I should be eating, what I shouldn't be eating, mm. how much should I eat, how much shouldn't I eat. And then from that point, it sort of just became super obsessive. Um, and then when I went to university, I was studying sports science, which we have to go into doing a case study on your own eating. Yeah. And then that was what really triggered me to go down the dark route of having an eating, like a full-blown eating disorder. Yeah. And it, that kind of, you know, I don't want to, it's not necessarily labeling your personal experiences, but, and I don't want to label this behavior in this way, but it's similar to, I imagine you've heard of orthorexia before that yes. yeah, obsession yeah. around good and bad foods. Um, and you know, if yeah. you're so, if you're someone um, listening in, to the podcast who, who is experiencing that, you know, it's not necessarily that you have orthorexia, but you know, I think, and I'm interested in your thoughts here, Jane, with this, um, in the fitness industry there's and especially on social media there's so much information about what's good and what's bad and so much of it is contrasting i think it's almost breeding that 100 percent, i do agree with you i think it's sad because there's no foods are bad food like yeah okay there's food that's better for you and more nutritious but nothing in moderation is bad for you and i think I guess the industry in some ways is starting to come back round full circle because there's more and more people trying to educate a balanced approach to training, a balanced approach to nutrition and so on. But yeah, it's definitely something that's like really prominent and has been really prominent and labeling foods as like good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know um, your opinion, but for, for me, I think, because I, I did my I did my masters in exercise nutrition, so I'm like massively interested in in you know food and and in the way that it can affect people's performance. But you know I think 
tracking and you know, taking being meticulous around your food i think serves a purpose for a short period of time to the point that you can learn about the food but i my personal preference more my personal thoughts my opinion is that tracking and um things like that should be done for a short period of time with the the ultimate goal to be that in i don't know six months time or whatever you're going to go back to eating intuitively but with this new knowledge maybe if that's if that's what you were after yeah yeah yeah, i agree i think that is definitely where everyone sort of needs to get to rather than you can't track your food forever it's Mm. just it's impossible like um and it's not imagine like for the rest of your life you're going to restaurant and be like wait a minute I've just got to like put my macros into my food as well and just check that this actually matches so yeah I I agree it needs to be like only a short period of time and then you do need to learn how to intuitively eat and know portion sizes or know on mine it's just by looking at a plate or like knowing like I think the thing obviously with eating disorders it's like retraining your body to know like when you're full like Mm -hmm. when you're hungry and retraining all those stimulus is because they just disappear basically when you're like in the depths of everything so i think that's the hardest part to overcome yeah and it is is such a difficult thing to do and is that something that you did you had to do yourself um yeah so i tried initially on my own so i got myself back to a point on my own and then um where i was managing things it was far from being perfect but I managed things on a weekly basis so Mm -hmm. I could start to perform again and then I got so tired of managing it that I didn't want to manage it anymore I wanted to learn how I could overcome it so then I went not so much nutrition therapy because I knew exactly what I needed to eat um it was a a full-time PT (laughs) so I like know everything I needed to do but I just wasn't able to implement it. Like my brain was stopping me. So I went and seeked private therapy and did some like psycho behavior therapy. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't like the idea of being in a group scenario. And a lot of that comes from a lot of my triggers and fears are from judgment and like fear of failure and so on. So the group scenario was like a scenario I just didn't want to go into. So yeah. I seek private Okay. And when, when you, um, first sought out this, uh, private, uh, therapy was, was that your decision or was it, you know, was it your parents or, you know, I, I'm not sure. Um, so I would say it was probably, it was my decision in the end. So for me, I think because I was slightly older, um, when, so I hadn't left home when it first sort of started, and then I moved when it when I was going through and everything I then moved away from home and I moved to Loughborough so it was like quite easy for me not to disclose to my parents sort of how bad it was getting and they wouldn't have even they didn't even know that there was anything specifically wrong and um, it was more like my coach was like noticing obviously massive like performance like decrease like training decrease and so on um and then it was like a cycle of probably two and a half years before I eventually went and seek private help and I did Mm -hmm. go to the NHS initially and when I first went to say like got an eating disorder I need help the first thing was okay you're going to go on some antidepressants 
and then I was on a wait list for six months so I got put on antidepressants I was on a wait list for six months and as we know with bulimia like the main thing that you're doing is being sick so if you're taking antidepressants and you're only getting like the basically I still being sick so it wasn't stopping that behavior um it made me go loopy because yeah. I wasn't taking full dosages of the medication because I wasn't allowing it to stay in me and at that point that's when things got really bad for me because I'd obviously identified something was wrong and I identified mm -hmm. that I needed help but there was no interim phase. It was just like a waiting process at that point Yeah. that I just felt I was just, I was like, when am I going to get the help? Like, I don't know when I'm going to get the help. And within that period of time, like I hit rock bottom where I was like, I, I messaged, I messaged my mom and everyone. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm done. Like I yeah. left my phone, went for a walk. And I was just like hoping something would happen to me um and it was yeah like that was like a dark period of time mm -hmm. and then something happened that night on my walk that it was like all these like things in my head were like just going off and it was like it was so weird it was like a bright moon it was so clear and um I was like I can't let this beat me like I just can't let this beat me I've got to deal with it and then um we're still on the wait list at that point and when I went to the therapist eventually after the six month period, the main piece of advice was you need to eat carbs. And I was like, I know, but that isn't the point of this like meeting. Um, and then I just, I said to my mom, I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going to therapist. I like, no, that's not going to help me. Like, it's just not going to work for me. I just didn't get on with, with the therapist. And I think the further down the line I went, obviously I realized that not every therapist is going to be for you you've got to find the therapist that works for you so it may be like a process of a few different people first and then I did reach out to a couple of people like over the course of like two and a half years but it wasn't until 2012 that I eventually was like okay I need I need this I need the extra help to get me fully recovered but I managed like myself up to that point wow um Honestly, the thing the thing that shocked me the most is that the therapist told you to just eat more food. Like, what what did that what did that feel like? Like, I, I remember like he probably told me so much more, but it's the only thing I remember from that therapy session because I remember like sitting on the chair and I was obviously really vulnerable at this point. Like, I was like I couldn't go and sit in a restaurant. Like, I couldn't be around food. Like, I barely made it past breakfast. Like it, it was like a constant spiral at that point. And um, the only way I describe it, I was like a shark. And I don't know if you've heard this before, but it was like literally so. like everything, everything in my head was just like, when am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Like someone could be having a conversation with me. And I was like, not even there. Like the only thing that was going on was like, right, if I, like it was just constant. It was like this constant thing in my head. Um. And when I went to the, to the therapist and like, that was like the main, the main outcome. And then like another way to go to like group therapy, I was just like, I don't, I'm going to work this out on my own. Like yeah. I need to work this out on my own. Yeah. It must be a way that I can like get myself better. Mm. So, so what, like, you know, what kind of things did you try and did anything work in particular that you did by yourself? Um, 
think one of the things for me was actually starting a job as a PT because I was having to, well, first I needed to make money. <laughs> At that point, my athletics career really wasn't going very well. So I had to start making money on my own. Um, I did have, when I first moved to Loughborough, which I'm not actually told many people about the story. Um, when I first moved to Loughborough, I was moving there as like to train sort of full-time and I didn't enjoy the full-time element. So when I got like this part-time job as a, like I would call myself a hostess, but I have to like put biscuits out and stuff for guests. And even that, like I couldn't, I actually had to leave the job because I was like being around that food was just like trigger central. It was just horrendous. Um, so I was basically, I decided to study my PET qualification when I was there. Um, and then doing that, and then having to go into actually working in the fitness industry made me think I have to like sort myself out here because how am I going to train people if I haven't got myself an order? So that was like the first step of me kind of taking control because I had like people that needed my support. So I needed to step up. So that was the first steps. And then, then writing them like diet plans and so on, I decided to start, get myself in a place where I had controlled eating again as like a sort of a template essentially of like how my day-to-day -day would go. And I'd give myself like three different options for each meal. Um, and then I know that's like, it made me feel safe. Yeah. And it was like my first, the first steps was just obviously to get back to eating normally and well, not even normally just eating at, breakfast eating at lunch eating at dinner having a snack not from guilty that you're having a snack and having that controlled element mm -hmm. um was my first steps back to sort of finding normality essentially yeah and it's i think it's really good that you mentioned there that it's kind of it's those first steps you i think often a lot of people and myself included i got so overwhelmed about the idea of recovering and being able to eat in a air quotes normal way um that it just felt impossible like i'm going from you know from i was uh, well originally it was kind of anorexia and and then i moved into bulimia and and i'm now more like binge eating disorder although i self-diagnosed myself with muscularity oriented disorder eating but that's a whole different kettle of fish but um oh. I, I i've been, i've experienced a lot of them yeah um, so it's it felt so overwhelming this idea of transitioning um, but what I first started doing, especially when I was, I was really meticulous about tracking my foods, I would, um, start off. I even, I think the first thing I did was I stopped tracking broccoli and that was it. That was the first step for me because it was easy and that felt comfortable yeah. and it felt, it felt okay. Um, and I suppose it's it same, similar with you, you had these three set meals or three set things that you were okay. And then, then you could make that yeah. first step. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I would give myself like three options for breakfast, three options for lunch, three options for dinner. Like really similar to how someone would actually deal with a client. Yeah. Um, like a PT client. So they, they learn like how to portion control and so on. Um, so yes, yeah, so that was, yeah, similar to you. Like that was my first steps because otherwise I would just, as soon as I, if I wasn't following that, like I'd end up, if I had no structure, I would just end up binging and then it would mm. just be the cycle. And then it would be days of not eating, binge again so I was like I needed to have that structure in place so I felt a bit more in control yeah and I think it's it's um interesting how you know the the initial thing that almost 
um, you know, set everything off for you was seeing a nutritionist and learning more about nutrition. But then actually the thing that ended up helping you was kind of, I suppose, learning about nutrition, but in a, um, you know, in a different, from a different angle, looking at it more in those, yeah. that, that kind of way, rather than being so meticulous. Why do you think that was, what do you think the difference was? I think it was almost like, I, I guess like a lot of the time, obviously eating disorders are through perfectionist uh, tendencies. And I guess because I was in control of that and mm. it was me deciding that, um, I guess potentially that was one of the things. And another thing was I just didn't, I wanted so badly to be performing again and yeah. like be at my best. And it was, I did go and see other nutritions in the period of time where it was always like giving me like high, high amounts of calories. And I was like, I get that that's where I need to get to, but you need to understand that that's yeah. not going to happen overnight. And I think I took like what everyone was trying to say to me and like just slowly integrated it. So it was like a gradual process rather than going from zero to a hundred. Because at one point when I was like super anorexic, I was went from like 47 kilograms to 57 kilograms in the mm. space. Well, then pushed up to 65 kilograms. So almost like 20 kg difference in the space of six months. So I was almost oh. like quite worried when I started like getting back to normal size because at that point I was just like so much bigger than what I wanted to be. But a lot mm. of it was obviously just like water retention, like obviously your body's like readapting and so on. But I was almost like for quite a while, like I was scared to go back that way. So the mm. control side of stuff for me was like, as long as I'm not losing weight from like the weight I wanted to be at. And as long as I wasn't putting on weight, like that's my measure. Like, but I can't be less in this weight because that's when things are going to go the other way. Yeah. So uh, I, I just hit, listening to that, I'm just thinking, you know, for someone who may be listening to this podcast, who might be in that position where they've, you know, they've, they've had to start eating more and are gaining weight and, and you're know, feeling uncomfortable about it. What would you say to them? Um, something I actually try and talk about quite a bit on whenever I'm doing like blogs or so on is that the, I think especially from bulimia, the recovery process is, it's not going to be, it's not, it's never going to be a fun process. It's a scary process. You almost have to go through this really rough patch, but you've got to persist because a hundred percent it is worth it in the end to get to a point where you can live a normal life and you're not worrying all the time about what options are there at a restaurant or so on and so forth. Um, so almost like find what works for you like find what works for you that isn't going to overwhelm you too much and like try and like listen to what everyone has to say but don't like don't listen to everybody because I think when you're in this scenario like everyone's got an opinion of like how you should eat or how you, quickly you should recover or like just like lo loads of stuff goes on isn't it like some I felt like in the athletics world it was almost just like an expectation that oh you're recovered like, but I would, I would say for me, like I wasn't recovered fully until even post my athletics career. Like I even, I got managed to get back to the Commonwealth Games and obviously competed at the Commonwealth Games, 
but even up to like that point I describe as like what my book's all about is my point of freedom that I have overcome having an eating disorder but I still had like tendencies especially specifically in that year where I would restrict stuff that I'd have to have like a teaspoon of almond butter or something to like make up hunger and so on so it's only really been post-sport where I've like learned that everyone hates me because they're like I'm just like pass me the pasta please <laughs> like, more pasta for me but like I can't even imagine like 15 years ago me ever being in that scenario mm. but I am and I can go out and I don't think twice about mm. what I'm ordering I just know that that's okay but something that I am really good at is like just knowing when I'm full like I hate feeling full but mm. I also hate being hungry so <laughs> um I get really stressed out if I'm hungry these days it's like very very stressful for everyone else around me I'm major hungry um, but yeah it's like just for anybody that's like going through anything it's work like it's you're gonna feel uncomfortable as mm. change with anything is uncomfortable and you're letting go of something that's a control for you but there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you can live a normal life you just need to go through a transition period where your body's readapting, but it will readapt and you can, you can like live normally. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. Fantastic. And I think, um, you know, in, in that, in that rough patch, there will be times where you'll, you know, make mistakes and you will fall back. And I think, 100%. yeah, I think li- listening to you saying that there, I, I was kind of thinking of, um, I often talk about how eating disorders are a spectrum but often we actually perceive them as two different things. Either you have one or you don't. And people think, oh, you just get fixed and then you're fine. Or, and then if you, you know, if you cock up, then you've just got an eating disorder again and you're screwed and you've got to sort it all out. But it's, it's not, you have, you know, you have this spectrum of one side, which is eating disorder behavior and the other side, which is completely healthy. And, you know, you're, you, you get better at pulling it towards that healthy side and keeping it there. Definitely. And occasionally you'll still let go and you'll move towards that other side a bit, or maybe just to the middle. Um, but, but you get way better at moving towards that healthy side. And that, that's where I am now. I would say I, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that I'm recovered. I would say I'm, you know, I'm, I'm close. You know, my, my good, my good yeah. times are much longer now than they have ever been. Um, and the bad yeah. times um, last much less um, often, but I do still get the occasional bad days. What about yourself? Do you yeah. do you still get bad days or are you all good? Now? I would say like I'm I'm pretty much I would say for the last seven years, like been in a good place. There's been times where I've recognized and identified behaviors where I've maybe like gone back to the middle as you described there. Yeah. Where I've been like super it's usually under like when I'm under like increased stress in like different areas of my life where then I'll end up being a bit more back to like anorexic tendencies. Yeah. But I recognize it very, very quickly now. So I know how to pull myself back. And I just talk to someone about it. I just go, I'm struggling at the moment. Please, can you just like, please can I just talk to you about it and like yeah. make you aware that I'm like struggling and you can see anyway, because obviously I like lose weight or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I also, I would say like, I am recovered, like, whenever I speak to anyone now, like I am fully recovered and I haven't had days where I've been like, 
negative or felt guilty by anything related to food. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. And I think, you know, I think in in some ways you could like being recovered is a subjective term. I'm sure like, you know, some, yeah. I think, I think if someone had the same experience as me and said that they were recovered, I would 100% accept that because, you know, everyone has shit days. You know, everyone's going to yeah. have a bad day in whatever respect. So I think it's normal that that's the case. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's really, um, yeah, really good point that, you know, that I'm really, I'm really glad that you actually got, got to this stage where you're feeling so much better. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I gen- it's good that you've got to this point for you as well. Like, and I think just knowing that there is, you can, and you can recover fully. Mm. And then it's just like then managing and knowing like when your trigger kicks in yeah that yeah. you can, you know, you're strong enough to pull back before it goes anywhere. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, um, learning to recognize the stresses, the things that cause it, um, and, yeah. you know, strengthening those supporting things, the thing that help it. I think that's, that's yeah. what it comes down to. Um, and so I kind of want to, I want to re- rewind a little bit because I feel like we've gone down, I've gone completely off my script, 1000, <laughs> like percent <laughs> off my script. Um, so I, I wanted, but I wanted to kind of come back and talk more about your, um, life as an athlete and dealing with, um, this eating disorder during you know, being a, a, a professional athlete, you know, an elite athlete. Um, I guess my, my, it's a very open-ended question, but you know, what, what is that like? It's tough. Like it is tough. Um, I think, so it was very much rife in the athletic circle, I guess when I was kind of going through it. So, and again, this is, we're going back now, like, more than 12 like 12 years 2009 which makes me feel very old (laughs) but um I guess like at that point it was only when like hospital admissions were starting to go up like cases were rising like because people were actually starting to admit that they had an issue and it was at that point just before it was okay to talk about having an eating disorder whereas at that point it was kind of like what's wrong with you then like why do you have an eating disorder what is wrong with you and I'm trying to how like when what years were your eating disorder like what what year did you start having an eating disorder god um it was probably 10 years ago so around 2010 yeah so like it was just at that point like people were starting to open up about it Mm -hmm. um I've gone completely off tangent here. I'm trying to go back to the question that you asked me. <laughs> it's, good, um, it's good. It's good though. I, like I don't. I don't. You don't have to answer my questions. If 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 oh, my question sparks something else, do do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in terms of yeah, so in terms of being an athlete, um, I guess initially it's like obviously when you're in th- your worst state, mm-hmm. I guess the people that you don't, I think more so is a bulimic because you feel bloated you're mm. you're struggling like to you're, you're worried that people are looking at you basically and like people mm. were like I was putting on weight because I'd gone from being anorexic to being bulimic and being bulimic obviously you look kind of like a normal person like mm. you don't it's really hard to like see if someone is bulimic because 
you may be a normal size you may be slightly bigger than a normal size like no you you can't really tell and at that point I'd put on a lot of weight so yeah. I'd felt I felt really like criticized I felt really judged as in an environment where everybody looked amazing everyone was training amazing um people were like talking about what foods they were eating it was just it was constant and you're constantly surrounded by everyone aiming for perfection mm-hmm. and I think I found that really really tough um because I was quite like an introverted person which you wouldn't imagine no so <laughs> <laughs> but I used to be like super super introvert so like I'd hate going into and again kind of still like it in big social situations now but I, my car was the one that like will sit sort of sit back first in a group of people and analyze what the conversation is before I feel that I should contribute mm. in like a really weird way but okay. I guess going in like it's I guess that's kind of like a fear of judgment still yeah. like from what it was back in the day so something I really should work on actually <laughs> but yeah so I feel like it was for quite some time just this fear of being judged and having mm. to be better and improve and even in the recovery process you're like I have to obviously like face everyone so it was like every day showing up feeling that people were laughing at me or like making comments not really understanding what was actually going on for me like it was it was not a nice period of time and um I like moved training groups and tried different things and I got myself into a position and I actually have this exercise in my book it's called who's on your bus um, and it's such a simple exercise but I remember it was, you mentioning this during the the panel yeah I talk I always talk about it because it was my coach so my new like my coach that I moved to he basically he's a bit of a life coach business coach and he sat me down and he was like Jane like you just need to work at what's working in your life and what's not working in your life like what's your direction like who's on your journey to your direction where are you in that journey and I was like well says I'm literally like so far removed right now that I need to like get back on my journey and like back on my bus and start driving it because right now I'm letting fear and letting like other people's comments and like my worries about their comments basically drive everything for me so I wasn't achieving anything so that was like a process of building on like network around me that understood me and understood like what I was going through at that point and were like there for me essentially were like my like support network yeah yeah I am um, again that you the things you mention um you know really resonate with me and I, I think I often talk about because with my own minds I'm trying to raise awareness for the fact that you know athletes and exercises are you know at risk of some serious mental health um issues and I think eating disorders is one of them and I think one of the reasons it is like you said you know within that athletic community there's so much perfectionism there's so much anxiety around food everyone's talking about food everyone's talking about exercise like it's almost you know no wonder people start to develop these these issues I think I think it's more amazing that some people don't than the fact that some people do you know I think that's that's the shock I agree I do agree with that it's um especially like training camps and so on like that's when you really see like the day-to-day of people's 
lives and like what they actually eat and I think in Loughborough specifically and probably in like some of the biggest student areas yeah you're living in the house a house with other athletes and that's where basically the culture just thrives of like everyone's like watching what each other person's putting on the patient plate on a day-to-day basis and that that is really tough because then you're like you could have an endurance athlete living with a high jumper or a sprinter and you all need to eat different things but you're all comparing each other's plates and actually that's so ridiculous because an 800 meters got to eat so differently to a sprinter and so differently to high jumper so yeah i think that can be quite like a, a bad culture essentially it's it's interesting as well to me that you meant you mentioned um earlier that you know it was kind of you you felt that it was accepted for you to talk about the fact that you had an eating disorder is that the, is that did i get that right no so i felt like it wasn't accepted okay okay well okay and in, yeah. in that case it kind of agrees with what i was going to say then because um, I, I've recently started working uh, on a project with the university that I'm not going to mention because it's early days, but, um, speaking yeah. to, uh, the, the doctor who's, who's running it, he was saying that a study that he did recently, um, was on gymnastics coaches and gymnastics is one of the like highest prevalences for, um, eating disorders. And some of the, they basically interviewed coaches about eating disorders and about nutrition, trying to learn about them. And he, uh, although, although the prevalence rate of eating disorders disorders in gymnastics is like really high um and some of these coaches had been coaching high level gymnastics athletes for like 20 plus years so the majority of them said they'd never worked with anyone with an eating disorder uh, which is obviously incorrect um but you know i think the fact that they could go 20 years and no athlete ever told them that they had an eating disorder that that scares me because you know yeah and and I, i guess i guess my question to you is, is you know, what do you think it is about the environment that may, I think, I feel like, you know, it's, it's hard to do it in any environment, but specifically within that sporting environment, you know, what is it you think is so hard, like makes it so difficult to, to mention it? I think it's like showing weakness um, okay. and showing that like, uh, I was speaking to my mom, like not that long ago, but I should have probably been admitted to hospital at some point, but it that's a sign of weakness that you're having to like it was like a really weird and I have emails where we're messaging back and forward about going to hospital like I would email my mom because I didn't couldn't face talking to her on the phone um and I think it is like it is being afraid to show that you're that something's wrong and like I think the culture now is that the sooner you talk about stuff the better mm-hmm. so there's no barrier and it's so it's so good like I'm loving the fact that the culture in sport now is there is no barrier just talk about it mm. and the coaches are now being educated at club level to ensure that they're able to deal with recognizing eating disorder behaviors how to like go about approaching it rather than 12 years ago there was like no recognition of how do you deal with someone with an eating disorder how do you manage mm. stuff like what what stuff do you say to them like what do you pick them up on in terms of even like training energy like I remember I got told like if I don't eat I'm not allowed to train I was like yeah okay (laughs) like that's not helping me (laughs) yeah it's um 
So I recently did some some training with uh, with some university sports staff about this kind of stuff about eating disorders and about exercise addiction and stuff, and they that one of the questions I got so often from them, and it was a question that I wasn't really sure of an answer for, and I've I've developed I've because I got the question so often I've thought I've come up with an opinion, but I'm interested if if on your thoughts on this. A lot of them yeah. asked, "How do I make that?" move like if i'm if i'm worried about an athlete who has an eating disorder like how do i like create an environment or how do i you know approach them what do i say what do i do or maybe maybe just from, from for you personally how would how do you wish a coach had approached it for you um, i i i i, I um, admit that is a very a difficult question. question yeah so please, if, yeah. if you don't know the answer that's completely fine as well but i'm just interested i guess like I sort of had two experiences. I had like uh, a coach at the time that had a big group of athletes and they were all performing really well. So me, like at the time, not like what, how, why is he going to support me like more than other people sort of thing. Um, but I think as a coach, the coach I, um, that basically helped me like as a and as an athletics coach, like he just listened and he was just mm. there and it was non-judgmental. It was like if you need to talk, come and talk. Like, and it was like knowing that you had someone who you could open up to that wasn't going to turn around and be like, "You're a waste of space." And not that anyone yeah. would say that, but like you need to sort yourself out. Like it was more like just listened and like helped guide me to maybe having more open conversations about therapy or more open conversations with my parents about stuff and so on. Um, so I feel like the main thing is just like, if you do identify tendencies in somebody is just being there to support them and like in a non-judgmental way. Cause I know at one point before I admitted everything, I'd had like people being like, Jane's so skinny, like she's got an eating disorder, da, 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 and I'm like so unaware that I have one at that point. Mm. But someone like coming in at me like that made me go like, oh my God, I don't, like what are you, like I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just eating really well, like blah, 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 sort yeah. of thing. It, create, then, it, make, it makes you it makes you feel like it's something to be ashamed of, like you shouldn't tell anyone. Like if you know, like they're making yeah. jokes about it. Um, so yeah. you know, if it's real, then I'm a joke. Uh, it's not the case, but that's yeah. that's that's how it resonates, doesn't it? Yeah, and so I think it's just being sure that you're like you are supportive, basically, for someone in like in a non-judgmental manner. And yeah. I know that's hard for quite a lot of people because it's something that you'd hope, though, in coaching, like the reason you go into coaching is you want to help and support people, so you are able to adapt to different personalities and so on and so forth but just knowing like that there is charities out there there is things out there that like as coaches as like carers or parents or what so on there is material available for yeah. you to like find the best approach if you're unsure um or you're really really worried about them yeah and i, I think you you've You've basically said um, like what my answer, what I've come up with, um, and I think I think yeah, I really agree that um, just creating that environment where someone can feel like they can say whatever they want, and you're not going to snap at them or judge them. I think non-judgmental is the the most like, important word there. 
Um, and I, I often say to people who ask me, um, even just because obviously with coaches, you'll you'll often get a check-in every week or every couple of weeks. Just saying during yeah. that check-in, just add add a question to the end that's like, how are you doing with your mental health at the moment? Or like, like you know, I've recently watched this, I've listened to this podcast on Maya Minds with uh, Jay Nisbet, Nisbet, sorry, Nisbet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, <That's> right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I've, I've realized that, you know, athletes can struggle with eating disorders and exercise addiction and whatever. And, and I just want you to know that you can always talk to me if you want to about that. I don't know what, I don't, even, even if your thing is, you know, I don't know what to do if you do tell me, but I want to help and I'll just be here and I'll, I'll listen yeah. to you. That that's, that's enough. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I agree with you in that. Like yeah. just knowing that you have a someone that's safe that like can you will trust if they advise you to do so, do something or talk to someone because they're not going to say like you must. It's mm. like when you're ready. Yeah. And so this kind of brings me on to not, not the final question, but um, the final kind of normal question before the, the last three that I ask everyone. But um, you've written a book, Free ED. Um, and yes. what what inspired you to do that? What's it about? Tell tell the people listening. Okay, so Freed, so I call it Freed, Freed because okay. it's free ed. So like mm. free eating disorder, that's kind of how I came about with it. Yeah. But in 2011, I like had a comeback year. So I'd been sort of out for two years and it was like this thing that no one really knew like what had happened to me. I just sort of disappeared off the face of the earth and then reappeared in 2011. And obviously with that, um, performing at like a more of a higher level, especially in Scotland, it comes with like media coverage of what's happened. And for so long, it was like, should I talk about it? Should I not talk about it? And then I was just like, do you know what? I've had an eating disorder and I'm on the road to recovery. And it was like such a scary moment. But from that point, it was like, actually, if when I was like at my worst, I wish there was like someone out there that was just honest about mm. what the process is, like how you overcome things or there is like a support out there and it's not going to be an easy journey but there's like steps that you can implement on the way to get to your end point basically yeah um so sort of started writing drafts for ages and then press save and then I go back and start writing a new draft and then I press save and it was just like oh so did this for years <laughs> <laughs> and then after Glasgow I retired from the sport. Mm -hmm. and what I do you mean by Glasgow? So, just just for the people listening. Uh, Glasgow chairs and fourteen Commonwealth Games. Yeah. So and then I retired from sport and then so I had like a, a year and a half and then I was like, right, I want to try and really like write this book. And I went to. I kind of felt a bit lost to be honest after retiring from sport. And I think a lot of people talk about this, and it's something that I'm actually super passionate about. And like potentially in the future, would love to create something that's like a pathway for athletes retiring from sport to move into business. I was very lucky that I was already running my PT business because in 2010, I didn't go to Delhi. So obviously I decided to set up my PT business after, like, as I said before. And um, so I had my PT business already running alongside everything and it was going quite well. So I had that thing that I could fall on to post sport but 
I still felt a bit lost because I lost this identity of, well, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? I train and I'm still training every day, but what was the purpose of it? And it's something that I've now come to that point of like, when I train now, I always have to have an end point in sight. So I can, I don't train to look good. I just train because on the 4th of July, I'm going to do a race or something like that. It's always got to be around that. Um, so in 2000 and what year was it? 2006, 17. Um, I went to like a, like a business event. It was like this mindset thing. We have different speakers and Tony Robbins was there. Oh, <laughs> and cool. like everyone has their opinions on Tony Robbins, but like that night just inspired me so much. And I was doing loads and loads of journaling at that point. I was like really trying to find what it was like that I wanted to do or like what I wanted to say. And I felt like I just had stuff to say and I just didn't know how to express it. Um, and I'd always wanted to write a book. And then the next day there was like somebody talking about like writing a book and like got a story to tell. And I was like, right. <laughs> so I signed up to this book course. And then because basically leading into 2014, I obviously had, it was the build up to Commonwealth Games. I was kind of going into the Commonwealth Games. It was in home games in Scotland as like a medal hopeful. So there was quite a lot of media coverage around it. And with that comes like, and I was, also like around like eating disorder and eating disorder recovery. So I had loads and loads of people reaching out to me like on a day-to-day basis that it became super overwhelming for me that I actually had to step off social media leading into the games because I couldn't deal with the amount of people reaching out. And at that point I was like, I need to do something that can enable me to help more people on a mass scale rather than someone DMing me on Twitter or Instagram and um so that was like the idea initially and then I went to this book course and I had this idea of what I wanted to write was like my story and then I was like who really wants to read my story it needs to be like off purpose and then they were like if you write your purpose book first it's like some form of book that people can actually utilize and use on a day-to-day basis so the purpose of freed is like I've done like a seven step, so seven chapters of like a step by step of how I like initiated making that first step to like how I manage basically my freedom and like that freedom point. So that is kind of what the book is about. It's like a seven step with like seven different exercises in there. That's awesome. And it's available online, isn't it? I saw it on Amazon just before yes. I before I came on here. So people, I'll put a link yeah. in the description of this podcast for people to, to click on. Um, I'm also just, uh, this is kind of an additional question I'm adding on now because it made me think about it when you said it there. That idea of um, post-sport an athlete kind of not knowing what to do. And I, my, my kind of opinion on it, my theory on it is, you know, as people, we we have a self-perception of who we are and often we define our worth on of like, you know, where we see ourselves in society or, you know, in, in at least within the bubble that we're comparing ourselves to. And I think when you're an athlete and an elite athlete at that, your like purpose, your, um, you know, your self image is I am good at this sport or I am good at this thing. And then suddenly you're not doing that. And it it literally, it's one of the only, it's one of the few things where you literally just, it just ends completely. And then you're just lost. And is is that kind of how, how you felt when you first finished? 
yeah and yeah for you and i would even say like at, at points i do like even now sort of think mm. am i on the right path because i think like for me at i'm 32 like a lot of people that i work with are at the same same stage of their career are like five years younger because and my, my other half so good at reminding me whenever I get into that headspace, I'm like, oh, I'm so far behind everyone else and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, but how many people have gone and represented yeah. their country at like a major game? Like, I would way rather do what you've done than like yeah. what everyone else has done. So I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can still, I feel like it could take years after sport, mm. depending on like when you retire, like to actually finding that true purpose and passion. And actually that's okay. As yeah. long as you're moving forward. But um, I think I'm always trying something new. Like I'm doing a duathlon. Well, I'm going to try triathlon. I'm doing a duathlon. And everyone's like, what are you trying to achieve there? I'm like, I don't know. As just... far as I can, like as quick as I can go. And they're like, okay, Jane, age groups. And I'm like, yeah, why not try? <laughs> <laughs> so I've always but... got to take it to the nth degree. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think that's a, that's, you know, it's a good um kind of life lesson in general is that you know just it's about it's about progressing or about you know developing yourself in some way it's not you know so if if you're in a place you know where that you are in that dark like dark deep dark spot that can just be you know a progression can be so small it can just be getting out of bed like you know i always i always i always resonated with um i try and today try and do better than you did yesterday or try to do you know yeah. something different like more than you did yesterday and that's something that's always resonated with me because even if i'm having a horrible day if that day is horrendous i can be like well tomorrow i've got to do better than i did yesterday and that's today so i'll just i'll do a little bit better tomorrow and or you know it just it gives me that little bit of um hope of you know anything anything's better than i don't i don't know i don't know what i'm saying i'm getting lost here but do you get what i mean no, i know what you mean though i do yeah, yeah i do like tomorrow's always tomorrow's always a new day yeah and i think as long perfect. as you can always go into a day like every day with that mindset and even if you wake up and have like a you'll feel like i don't know yesterday i, I woke up feeling feel like i'd been drinking all weekend and i haven't even mm. been out like <laughs> obviously we can't go out but i was like what i've had like one glass of wine on the weekend <laughs> why do i feel hungover but like and then you just gotta like i remember being like tomorrow's gonna be better tomorrow's gonna be better and this one i woke up ding ding so that's yeah. like anytime i ever drink any alcohol that's how i feel i'm literally the bit i am <laughs> i'm six foot two um and i and the biggest lightweight you'll ever see in your entire life i'm horrendous any kind of alcohol um horrendous bit of trivia for the listeners out there um anyway the, the final three questions that questions that aren't questions that's what i'm going to title them because someone pointed that out to me recently they aren't questions um but so the, the final three questions that aren't questions the first one is name a person either real or fictional who inspires you um does it need to be like alive or dead or whatever i'm trying to even think um so if i relate it back to like my sporting career um there's an athlete called kaiser bergvist who was swedish she was like the world high jump record holder um but she just constantly always fought back mm. and she used to like inspire me all the time because i'd just be like she snaps her Achilles and the next thing she's jumping like an Olympic record. Like it was, it was just so good. Like, and I think she was like a massive inspiration. 
Um, but then actually going into my retirement from sport, um, I, I've brought her name up so many times recently, but one of my like uh, like co-athletes, Lindsay Sharp, who's a Scottish 800 meter runner, like she constantly, again, like always got that fight back and always comes back. And I think I love looking up to people like that, that never give up because I feel like that's kind of the person who I am and especially like from overcoming an eating disorder I'm like if you can overcome that you can overcome whatever is trucked your way so yeah Kaiser Bergfist and Lindsay Sharp amazing amazing answer okay question that's not a question number two is <laughs> a time that you didn't like at the time but looking back you know that positives came from it oh that is tough actually <laughs> Um, oh man, um, I think, I think like a lot of the time, obviously when I was going through like the worst parts of my eating disorder, I look back now and even though at those points, it was like, it was horrendous. Actually, they've enabled me to learn new strengths that I don't think I would have known or learn or even just like a level of kindness and resilience against stuff that I don't think I would have ever learned if I hadn't gone through it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant answer. And the kind of the reason I like that question so much is because, you know, people listening who are going through the crap at the moment, you know, I like getting people on and them saying, actually, when I went through that, now looking back i'm actually kind of glad i did because i've got these things that i've got now that i wouldn't have had if that wasn't the case yeah. so yeah the br brilliant answer thank you um and the final one which is definitely a tricky one is a phrase to live by um this is not a tricky one for oh. me. <laughs> um dream but don't forget to live and then you might end up living your dream Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. It doesn't need anything else. Go. That's it. Done. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you so much, Jane, for, for coming on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great chat. Loved it. It's my pleasure. Um, everyone listening at home, thank you ever so much once again for listening all the way through. And I will see you at the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.